0: Good morning, Hope Collective. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? We're going to be in Matthew 5 today. If you have your Bible, I'll give you a second to open to there. We'll be in verses 14 to 16. Matthew 5, 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Ready for that. Good morning. Uh, last week, what a great honor to get to hear from Ephraim. Uh, wasn't, that, wasn't that really cool? <clears throat> if you were with us in first service, uh, you had a chance to be present when we were able to say, okay, as a church, we're coming into the end of this month, which is the end of our calendar year, about 60 some 1000 short of, of giving budget. And as a result, we want to let God know we trust him for that, and we're not concerned. We believe the king funds what the king wants. And so we're going to tithe on what we know God's going to bring in. And so we gave Ephraim $6,000. You guys remember that, right? Um, he, that immediately was sent to be able to cover the rental for not just his home, but the guest house that they use there, um, which is a beacon of hope in hench Haiti. During that service, somebody came up and matched that amount. <clears throat> Isn't that awesome? So we were able, yeah, that's cool. Second service, we let them know that happened, and then somebody came up and matched it again. But it didn't stop there because then we had another gift. We were able to send him away with $21,000. Generosity is our norm. Uh, this is what we do. We have missionaries coming in that we support. They'll be coming in. We have missionaries in Japan. We have missionaries in Chile. Uh, We have missionaries in Swaziland. We have missionaries in Brazil. Um, And I'm sure I'm forgetting uh, Ethiopia. Uh, They'll be here to just hang out. So definitely take a few moments and stop by and talk to them next week. Anybody ever, um, I don't know if you do this, have family meetings Yep. usually when you have a family meeting, one of two things is going on. One, you just want to clarify some things, <laughs> which is typically what's going on in our home when we're having a family meeting, just need to make some, we're usually going out of town and they're going to be there on their own and we're just letting them know the penalties and the consequences that will take place. Um, other times we want to talk about life and we want to form them as who we are as a family and what things we love to see happen in their lives, and what things we want to protect them from. And and, um, that's a very positive experience most of the time. I want to have a family conversation this morning. Can we do that? Most of us sitting in the room would say, this is my church home. This is my local expression of church where I don't see it as something I go to. I see it as something I'm part of. We don't come on Sunday mornings to consume religious goods and services. This is not about us. It just isn't. It's about Him. And the more it's about Him, the more it's about others. And the more it's about others, the more it's about Him. It's really, really good when that happens. And so we want to take some time and just talk as a family. If you're visiting with us, there are times in family meetings where their friends get to sit in and experience it. You know, because sometimes a family meeting requires that we talk now. And they're like, but my friends are here. Invite them. This will be good for them. Right? And so... So I want to talk with us, um, it's August, it's the end of our year as a church, August 29th, and I believe God wants us to get a really clear picture of where we're headed. Um, So I want to talk about our vision, but before I do, I want you to know that I am desperate, desperate, desperate to see the kingdom come. I've had it with this world. And so let's get as many people on board with Jesus as possible. The kingdom come. And, and we have a promise of the already, but not yet. Jesus said, the kingdom is here. Yeah. Repent and believe. And so as we continue to repent and believe, we're part of the kingdom that is here, the already. But there is a promise of a coming kingdom, a vision that God has put in front of us. I can't wait for. If my number comes, thank you, Jesus, let's get moving with eternity. But while we're here, let's proclaim the goodness of God. Let's be about everything God wants us to be about. Let's be less and less about ourselves and more and more about Jesus. Less and less about ourselves and more about the people Jesus loves. Which is pretty much every person your physical eye sees. And so Jesus said to his disciples, when we pray, we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I am so glad that you are here this morning. I'm glad that we get to gather. I'm glad that is our freedom. So I'm excited to be here and process this together. I'm also incredibly happy that you are watching online. It is not easy to get up every morning and get in front of a computer screen these days. So if you are watching with us, thank you so much for being here. I want you to know that uh, you are just as much a part of this conversation as those of us sitting in the room. In uh, 2017, um, as a leadership, we put something to pen that we felt like was an accurate description of where we are today as a, as a people, where our community is. And we wrote it down because we were trying to determine through lots of prayer and the leading of the Holy Spirit, God, where do you want us to go? And where do you want us to aim? And how do we get there? And what does it look like? And what do we call your people to, especially those who call this church home? And this is what we wrote in 2017. And you tell me if this isn't still true today. People in our community are racing at full speed down a dead-end road. Their destination is success, a place they were promised would give them significance and make them happy. But this destination is a mirage. The pursuit of success leaves them feeling empty, lost, and unfulfilled. Mental illness is rampant. Substance abuse is at epidemic levels. Domestic abuse could be added. Students are being launched on a trajectory to disappointment. Marriages are in shambles, and families are too busy to realize they don't even talk anymore. These people aren't strangers. They are our friends, our classmates, coworkers, and neighbors. And the worst part of it all is that they don't have hope for anything better. We dream of the Hope Collective actually said at that time, Alpine Becoming an oasis of hope in our community, a place where those who have been burned out and broken in the pursuit of success can find rest and healing. We dream of people in our community finding their significance not in what they do, but in who they are. Children dearly loved by God. And we dream of these men, women, and students experiencing true joy as they become beacons of hope in the places they live, work, study, and play. We imagine the Hope Collective overflowing with rivers of hope that bring life and help everywhere they run, not just in Lake Zurich, but in Lake County and the entire Great Lakes region to the ends of the earth. We see couples being more than roommates, but soulmates. We see families helping each other become everything God designed them to be. We see employees working for the common good, not for survival on their own advancement. We see communities of hope coming together to become inspiring examples of lives well-lived, loving God and blessing others. If we want to see this change, we must first be changed. We will never influence what we simply reflect. 2017. Still true today. And God is calling His church into the fray. And I want to go through some things with you today, and I would challenge us to stay as attentive as possible because I think there are some things we need to be reminded of. I'm a good reminder. I love to remind, I love to take us back. It's called Altar Moment. It's remembering the good things that God has done, it's where our faith was developed. Our world, our community is on a path that leads to great despair. Matter of fact, despair would be the enemy's ultimate end game. Would leave each of us sitting in this room, each of us in the community around us, each of us in this world in despair. No hope whatsoever. A promise of hope, but nothing more than a mirage. Wishful thinking, the best definition they could gain. We have the hope that they're looking for, don't we, as a church? We have Jesus, and Jesus is hope, and hope is Jesus, and Jesus is hope, and hope is Jesus, and Jesus is hope, and hope is Jesus. Let's not confuse those words. Let's not get caught up in thinking that hope isn't Jesus because hope is Jesus, and Jesus is hope. That's the only real hope in this world. I said that way more than I planned to. And if despair doesn't sleep... Then neither can hope. The church has to be awake 24-7. Because hope is our cause. Jesus is our cause. Every day over one day. The Sunday morning Christian can't bring the kind of hope to the world that it needs. You just can't. It's every day. It's 24-7. It's keeping watch. It's wake up, O oh sleeper. Hope, we said, is a confident expectation. As a matter of fact, let's do this together. We've been saying this for three years. Hope is a confident expectation of a better tomorrow based on the character and promises of God. Some of you looked at the screen to see if it was gonna show up. <laughs> it is a confident expectation. I can get up here and say, oh man, come soon, Jesus. Because I know that everything he says is true. You can bank on it. It is a confident expectation of a better tomorrow. By the way, God's definition of better, not yours. Based on his character, he is who he says he is and his promises, he'll do what he says he's gonna do. He always has, it's who he is. Hope needs a collective. How do I know that's true? Jesus said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now you go and bring this message, bring this hope to the world. Hope needs a collective. Jesus assigned it his church. It's done by, you want to know what the definition of collective is? We're stealing it back from the communist party way back. I know that's been a concern. Jesus can redeem all things, can he not? (laughs) A collective is something done by people acting as a group. That's the church. We just redeemed it. It's not lost on me that last year on March 15th, the last Sunday, we were able to gather before lockdown. God put on our hearts as a leadership that we needed to call this church to be a collective of hope, real hope to our community. If we have hope, if we have Jesus, then we need to start acting like it. Not be the world that we simply reflect, but be light in the world. Actually see the darkness dispelled because Christians who love Jesus show up. What would happen if we would stop being divided and start getting united about what matters? I'm trying I'm yelling right now because I'm mad. I'm mad at what the church is allowing the enemy of our soul to do through culture. Enough. We're spirit-led people. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. So let's act like that. And when we don't, let's lament it, not get guilted over it, and change who we are by the power of that same Holy Spirit. (sighs) If we have hope, if we have Jesus, then we need to start acting like it. That it was time for our name as a church to change from what it is or was to who we're becoming. We didn't want it representing a geographical location, a place, because church can't simply be something you go to. It has to become something that you're part of. Part of. The hope collective. If you remember, I even preached a message on March 15th. Hope needs a collective. Enter lockdowns. We did what we had to do. But man... The enemy has a way of working, doesn't he? We were planning on changing the name in April. We had to move that to September. And then we felt like God leading us to stop gathering around a stage for a season because it wasn't transforming us and begin to gather around tables where real transformation happens. And that wasn't popular, and so we didn't want to change the name then in September. That wouldn't feel right, so we moved it to October where it's like, okay, we have to go at that point because this is what we believe God's calling us to. And that was a real powerful time for us as a church as we discovered that 80% of our church doesn't have real healthy community. Not only do many of us not have healthy communities, we actually don't have deep friends. And that's, that's not, to, that's not to, to make any of us feel ashamed or guilty. That's just to say, man, would to God we all have the level of relationship that Jesus showed his disciples that they experience and express with each other. Three months ago, we put on the calendar, August 29th, Vision Sunday, where we're going to finally share this vision that God put on our hearts four years ago. And well, wouldn't you know it, this week we got a massive distraction with another round of mandates. I'm telling you all of that to say, God knows it's all happening before it happens. But there's something big God's trying to do. And the enemy of our soul hates it. And if he can get us distracted... And if He can get us divided, and if He can get us focusing on the hand over here that's deceiving, He will deceive us. We have to keep our focus on Jesus. We have to keep our focus on community that keeps us keeping our focus on Jesus, that keeps our head in the Word of God. Because God will show us how to move and act and live in every day. Every day. I got to be really honest with you this morning, and I'm I'm taking a lot of time to to get us where I, I believe God wants us to go, but you you need to hear this. I want to be transparent if I can. And this, this isn't fun for me, transparency. Just so you know. Um, not fun for any of us, right? But then go to vulnerability. Vulnerability is not just transparency where I tell you something that's really real, but I actually let you speak in. It's vulnerability. And that's the kind of church we want to be is a church that's vulnerable. I've shared this with staff this week. I've shared this with our elders. I've shared this with friends around tables. Before we went into a lockdown a year and a half ago, we were running about 1,200 people on a, sun, on a Sunday. 1,200 people at least would show up at least once a month. That's the average attender these days is once a month to, to gather church. Show up at least once a month, but 900 every Sunday in three services, 900. 1,200. Now, I'm processing that because on Sunday morning, I'm not complaining. You know this isn't a spirit of complaining. I'm being I'm, I'm transparent. I'm lamenting. Because this is an exciting day, but it's also a day I'm lamenting. It's what I really want you to hear. I have. This is the kind of church I want to be part of, what we're talking about. I've longed to be part of a church like this. A messy church. A church that focuses on the healing of Christians so that free people can actually go free people. Can actually make a difference in the world. Doesn't get caught up in social justice that doesn't change anybody, but gets caught up in gospel justice that transforms hearts. That's what I want to be part of. But I'm lamenting today that right now we have about 600 people on a Sunday morning in two services. And about 400 of you are brand new during the last year and a half. By the way, can I say thanks for trusting us and showing up? Yeah. And when I say show up, I'm not just talking about it in the room. I'm even talking about all you who are new watching online. I'm talking about those who have have stuck it in. There's about three or four hundred every week watching online. That's amazing. But when you do the math, there's about 600 people that aren't part of what's going on here anymore. I don't know where they are. They're gone. And I'm lamenting the fact that, man, what God's about to do and what he's already doing in and through this church is going to be so amazing. And I'm sad that people are choosing not to be part of. core of this vision is this thought about Radical Redirected Hearts. Did you hear what I just said? Hearts. 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 We want to champion your heart. The growth of your heart. The Bible says that when God looks at a man or a woman, He doesn't look at what's on the outside, but He looks at what's on the inside. His eyes in the Old Testament roamed across the land looking for a heart that was fully devoted to him. Hearts matter. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You don't even know your heart. It's increasingly wicked. And I'm sitting there going, oh, dang. God, get in there and figure that out. (laughs) Because it's wicked. Radical redirection of hearts. And I want you to hear this and understand not just lost hearts, but saved hearts. All of our hearts. About three years ago, we made a strong statement as a church. Death to the American dream. That set some of us back on our heels. It's like, can you say that? In America? And still love America? Yeah, because it's not our best quality. It promises something it cannot deliver. It's false hope. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. For most Christians, Jesus is simply, this is what we discovered, for most Christians, Jesus is simply a value-add proposition to their American dream, their pursuit of their American dream. He's a drawer on the dresser when he wants to be the whole dresser. He's an add-on to our life when we need him, but when we don't need him, we forget about it. It's the most dangerous time in your life when things are going good. So we celebrate when things are difficult because we're communicating a need for him. But listen to you, you have to hear this. He won't be a value add. He won't be an add-on. He won't, he'll refuse to be the drawer on the dresser. He will only be the dresser. And so it takes a heart that says, Hey God, it may take me my life to get there, but I want to get there, so I'm all in. Here's my heart. Surround me with people that are going to help me see my blind spots. Surround me with people who will listen to my secrets and not go gossip about me. Surround me with people who are full of the Holy Spirit that will take me to the unknown places where you reveal who I am so I can change. Radical. The only thing he offers us is radical redirection of hearts. Sin stole and redirected humanity's love, wants, and desires, and Jesus came to radically redirect them back to the Father. Each and every one, and we call it worship. It's obedience. It's I'm turning where my loves, wants, and desires are to the things of this world, and I am moving them back to God where they belong and where they are deserved, because only he is worthy. Are you tracking? That's worship. Do you know what the opposite of worship is? It's idolatry. To stay in the place that we end up staying is so often idolatry. I went to church, and we sang this song. Oh, I... Went to the enemy's camp, and I took back what he stole from me, and I took back what he stole from the whole place, yes, I took back what... And you sing it in youth group, and they know how to take that song to another whole level. It's a childlike faith. Where are the Christians today that are ready to go to the enemy's camp and take back what he stole from them? Our faith, our joy, our hope, our love. Our patience, our goodness, meekness, and self-control. Let's take it back. I'm losing my mic. (sighs) Ah, We had this light bulb moment as a church. I had to find the biggest light bulb for the cheapest cost. (laughs) These things can get expensive. Home Depot, 20 bucks. I'm buying it myself so you don't have to worry about your tithe. <laughs> we had this light bulb moment. This moment where, as a church, we let the light go on. The light of the Holy Spirit. Can I explain it to you? Boy. When I think about my heart... And I get honest about where my loves are, and where my wants are, and where my desires are. And I can list them and hold them right here. Most of, many of us, and I'm speaking for you, and I'm sorry if I'm wrong. Most of us, a lot of us, some of us, will find that in the midst of all of those loves, and all those wants, and all those desires, God's not there. And man, it's hard to be honest about that. But boy, is it also healing to be able to look at that and say, God, I don't want you. But I want to want you. That was a light bulb moment for us as a church. It was a turning point for us as a church to say, man, And maybe, God, you're there a little bit, but there are so many things crowding you out. So many of my loves, wants, and desires are focused on everything else in this world where I'm trying to find the happiness that's promised, but it's fallen short because the only thing that will fulfill you is the joy of Jesus. And I can say, God, I don't want you, but I want to want you. And many of us begin to pray that prayer, and we begin to see our heart come alive. Once beginning to be transferred from the things in this world, the material things, the things, the accolades, all the things that the world offers, and begin to transfer them to Jesus where they never fail because He never leaves us or forsakes us. And we're in the journey of, of transferring. It's called worship. We're in the journey of transferring these. This was a light bulb, bulb born out of the Sermon on the Mount where we realize it's not something to go do, it's a picture of what you look like when Jesus gets a hold of your heart. That's the Sermon on the Mount. It's not trying harder, it's getting close to Jesus. It's born out of the fact that we're forgiven but not free. It's born out of our own recognition of where we are. And when we analyze our wants, loves, and desires, we don't want God. And so we come to him and say, God, I don't want you, but I want to want you. And then in that moment, we experience or we begin to experience debt to religion. I'm done with behavior modification alone. I want transformation of my heart. Yeah, behavior has to come, but my behavior won't save me because I can't save me. My behavior will posture me to a place where the only one who can saves me. We learned about identity as children of God, kingdom over everything abiding biblical community, fighting the global giants of injustice because God hates injustice, radically redirected hearts where our hearts are finding healing, freedom that leads to our time, talent, and treasure being fully directed to the kingdom of God because we love the king and we stand and fight injustice for the cause of real hope in every life, the hope for hope for the whole person. I just gave you the vision that sits in the picture frame of this church. Let me say it again so that you can capture what it looks like. It's radically redirected hearts where our hearts are finding healing and freedom that lead to our time and talent and treasure being fully directed to the kingdom of God because we love the king and we stand and fight injustice for the cause of real hope in every life. Hope for the whole person, not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and relationally. What a picture! Light of the world, a city on a hill, asking the hard question: If we closed our doors tomorrow, would the community around us miss us? We asked that question three years ago, and our conclusion was: They don't even know who we are. Of course, they would miss us. If you left your neighborhood tomorrow, would your neighborhood miss you? We ask that hard question. And so we go to Matthew chapter 5, 14 through 16. I don't like to take this long to get to God's word, but I want you to hear it again. You are the light of the world. Who's he talking to? His church. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop, like a city. On a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. So that let your good deeds shine so that you get tons of praise. No so that he gets tons of praise. And you know who can allow that? Are the people who are durable in who they are, who, who aren't looking for accolades and everything to come from everybody, but they're durable in Jesus. And they can say, Jesus, I actually don't need it and I don't want it because I don't deserve it. You do. You get it. You take it. And wherever I'm trying to keep it, it's the sin that Lucifer fell for. You're the light of the world. Jesus said, this is crazy. He says, you're the light of the world. He says, you're a city on a hill. It's Jesus mixing metaphors what's he doing? You're the light of the world, a city on a hill. No, he's not mixing metaphors. He's making sure that you put the two together. See, because in biblical times, most cities were placed up. They were on a hill. They were on a mountain. They were for people to see. And when the torches all over the city were lit, then the whole area was lit. You could see the city for miles. You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill. I want you to hear this and get this. When the Bible's talking about light, it's talking about truth. Light exposes things for what they are. And when the Bible talks about the light of the world, it's talking about God showing the world the truth of who he is. So so get this. The supreme light of the world is who? Jesus. Jesus himself is the supreme way God shows the world the truth of who he is. But then, if he's the supreme one, the other main way God shows the world who he is, the other main light of the world is not individual Christians. Get this. It's where we fail. Not individual Christians, but Christians as a city, Christians as a community, Christians as an alternate society, Christians, alternate city in every city they live. Christians are the city, the community. It is not individuals. You don't get to go do your faith by yourself and be a light, That's what Jesus is saying. It's only as a community that we're actually the light of the world, not individuals. 80% of American studies say, say you can be a very good Christian without going to church at all. That's not what this text says at all. You actually can't be the light of the world because you can't be a city by yourself. You can only bring light into the world as part of a community. That's what's happening. Why? What is the gospel about? At the very bottom of the gospel, it's about healing relationships, first with God. But because relationship with God is healed, then all of our other relationships can be healed. You wonder why you're struggling to heal relationships with others. A lot of times it's because you've got to work on a healing relationship with the Father that is less about Him and way more about you, but He loves you enough to step into it. The solar system is a system because every planet agrees on one center, Just a way to think about this differently. They're orbiting around the one center, but if every single planet was saying it's the center, (laughs) you wouldn't have a solar system, you would have a mess. May the church not be a mess like that. I hate disease of any kind, it's taken people we love. But there's a relational disease, a spiritual disease, and is the deep default mode of the human heart. We're talking about radical redirection of heart, right? It's actually instinctive to say, me first. Tuck your toes in. We need to talk. In a marriage, if two people are saying to one another, you first, not only will that marriage have unity and harmony, but that marriage will grow in the way God intended it to grow. But the moment one or either of them say, me first in a marriage, that marriage is bound for the disease to kill it. Right. It will destroy it. If me first enters that on any level, it won't survive. The me first impulse is actually natural. If any of you are raised kids, you know you don't have to teach them to say, me first. <laughs> Mine, right? You don't have to teach that. What we actually teach them to do is hide it. Stop saying it. Doesn't mean that they stop thinking it or feeling it. And as we grow up and we get older, we learn to hide it. We can't get rid of it unless something radical happens inside of us. Jesus. Mm Mhm. All we learn to do as we get older is hide it. It's why the gospel starts with something radical like repentance and faith. You become a Christian only through repentance and faith. Why? Repentance is admitting that your whole life is permeated with self-centeredness, selfishness, self-righteousness. Repentance is not just saying I've done bad things. Anybody can say that. That's not what saves you is to just say I've done bad things. Please hear me. Repentance is saying that self-centeredness, self-righteousness, me first permeates everything. Not just my bad deeds, but my good deeds too. Now hear this. You've begun to become a Christian when you realize even my good deeds that I've done, even my good deeds that I've done to try to control God and control people, even my good deeds are done in self-righteous and self-regard. Christianity starts with saying, I realize that my big problem is me first. And then repentance and faith, the flip side is faith because repentance, you admit you need salvation, but faith is saying that I see that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, gave himself for me and loves me forever. Matter of fact, he gave himself for us so that he could love us forever. And it's repentance and faith together that not only makes you ashamed of being self-centered, but it makes it unnecessary to be self-centered. Oh, because you're humbled yet affirmed and you're loved. and it's repentance and faith that puts your spiritual disease into remission. Doesn't mean it goes away forever. It's gonna be worked out in your life but it deals a death blow to me first, and that enables you, though we're still imperfect, we have the ability to create a kind of human community that nobody else in this world can. No one else in this world can create the type of community that Christians who love Jesus can. Nobody else in this world can create the kind of community that Christians who love Jesus can. Gosh, Lord, may we be creating that community today. makes us want to and able to cross all barriers that want to divide other people. May that be true today. What kind of community is it? It's a city. When it says Christians are a city, what does it mean? It's a Christian counterculture because the gospel changes everything. I hope you're hearing me. Because it comes in and it deals a death blow to me first. It changes your psychology. It changes the way you relate to people. It makes you more able to forgive, more able to reconcile. You can do certain things. You can do a certain amount of self-denial without actually killing your self-esteem. Wouldn't that be nice? It changes the way you look at sex, money, and power. Because once you get rid of the me first thing, sex becomes not a way of individual fulfillment, which is rapid in our culture, but a way of self-giving and the creation of community. Money and power are the exact same way. All those are being hit hard right now. They're radically different than the way they operate in the world and what happens in the gospel creates a community, a radically different community based on everyone having this radical encounter with God that deals a death blow to your ego that changes the way you do everything. Gosh, we need some radical death blows to our egos today. Today. The way you do business, the way you relate to the poor, the way we relate to those cross-racial divides, the way we relate to those who get a vaccine or don't get a vaccine, the way we relate to those who, who take something serious that you think should or don't take something serious you think should. It changes the way we relate to each other. It's only as you're part of community, and as those communities are created that God says, I can show the world who I am. Why? Because you're finally the light of the world by the way you're acting. That's why Jesus says they'll know your mind by the way you love each other. Because the only community that's going to shine light is godly community. It's what the world's looking for. It's what God's waiting on in his church. That we start acting different than the world that we reflect. If you want to be as an individual light, if you want to be as an individual light in a dark world, you have to be part of community, a city on a hill. A big community. The local expression of church. That's the picture. That's what's in the frame. Psh. Psh. You with me? Angle. That's what's in the frame. Are you actually a light? Or are you just a mirror reflecting what's around you? This is what God's calling this church to. Our vision is death to the American dream. We want radical redirection of hearts. We want to see a collective of hope where people actually have hope, act like it, and bring hope to the whole person because that's what Jesus has brought to us. And so we have this frame. I'm going to give you this really fast and then we're done. Isn't that awesome? Some of you don't believe me at all. Four sides of the frame, because the picture needs to be held by something stable. Top side, it's our mission. I'll tell you what, this is pretty crazy. Your mission is what, uh, what, do, what, are, we, what are we doing? And we say we don't have a mission. <laughs> we say that. We don't have a mission. You know, we say that because we heard somebody say one time, yeah, the church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has a church. And we're like, like that. And it made us ask a really hard question, then, what is God's mission? But listen to this. That actually came from somewhere. I finally found it. Alex, help me find it. Thank you. (laughs) It's not so much the case. Listen to this. This is Chris Wright wrote this years ago. It is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. The idea of joining God on his mission instead of trying to fabricate our own is something missiologists have been talking about for decades. Dang it! I thought this was unique. (laughs) Decades! This idea isn't unique. What's unique is that a local church, as a local church, we're actually trying to live it out. And so we asked... God, what's your mission? So we can join you in what you're doing instead of asking you to join us in what we're doing, which breaks things. God's mission is to reconcile the world to himself through Jesus Christ. Reconcile the world. He's making all things new, and he invites us into, one, experience that ourselves, and then, two, be ministers of that reconciliation. You find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are joining God on his mission to reconcile the world to himself through Jesus Christ. That's our mission. You want to know what our values are? Why we're doing what we're doing? They're on the wall out there. We're going to be doing a series here for the next eight weeks when we come into September. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. Other than to say this. The title of the series is That Church. Instead of Not That Church when we went through the churches in Revelation, now we're saying That Church. When you look at the people that call this church home, what, they, what we want this church to be known by is that we believe and we live like Jesus is our hope. People are our passion. Worship is our response. Woo! Community is our design. Faith is our foundation. Generosity is our norm. Serving is our privilege. Scripture is our guide how we're going to do this. And we're not going to go try to do those things. We're going to get close to Jesus. We're going to love Jesus. We're going to get close to each other. We're going to love each other. And that's going to happen, isn't it, Steve? I tried to get your attention earlier. I was going to go, I love you. You would look this way. You were worshiping. Yeah, it's cool. Our mission, what are we doing? Our values, why are we doing it? You want to know a strategy? This is what I wanted to share with you today because this is huge. Jesus fostered a rhythm of life. The early church fostered a rhythm of life. You've heard us say it. Following Jesus is about an up relationship with God, an in relationship with his people, and an out relationship to this world. You don't do any of them on their own, you don't leave one out. As a follower of Jesus, they are all important up, in, and out. What is my relationship like with God? It will play out in my relationship with others. And when God is doing something significant in my life through my relationship with him and others, I will naturally tell the world about it. You won't be able to stop me. I can't keep my mouth shut. Jesus keeps coming out. Don't talk about Jesus. I can't help it. It just keeps coming out. It's Jesus. Because what's inside comes out, right? Right? And so the rhythm of this church that we would invite you into that is the way in which we're going to live out God's mission is that we gather to glorify God. We're done gathering to consume religious goods and services. We're done gathering and asking the question, did you like it? We're done gathering and say, did the pastor go too long or too short? We're done gathering to say, hey, they need more more uh, variety in their worship. We're done gathering to say the, the music was too loud or too soft. We're done gathering for us. We're going to gather not to get through the week because that's the mentality that Sunday is the beginning of the week. We are going to gather at the end of the week on Sunday to celebrate the goodness and greatness of God through the week because we've been following him on his mission in the world, living like these things are our values. And so we gather to say, isn't God so good? I don't care what the music sounded like. I didn't even notice it. God is so good, and it was good to be with God's people. I had a guy sitting right over here a couple of weeks ago, and he said to me, Man, as I was looking over there, I saw a couple. I don't know who they are, but I had a word for them. God gave me in that moment, and the word was this. And he said, I wasn't able to get to them. And I said, Oh my gosh, if you would have just been able to get to them, that was the very word they were needing in that dark hour of their life. God gave you a divine word. Isn't it great to look around and be able to see each other? Man, preaching in this is rough because you got to do this a lot, but who cares? We get to see people are here. We're together. We're in this together. We're fighting this fight together. Okay. We gather to glorify. We group to grow. We think the best growth happens in really good, healthy community. When God's doing something in my life, when God's speaking into my heart, whew, I love to take it to my community and process it. Here's what I think God's doing. We discern. Sometimes they'll say, yeah, that's what God's doing. What are you going to do now? Oh. Well, here's what I think he's saying. Yeah, and probably this. So when we get back together, we're going to ask how that's going. Wee, okay. That's how you grow. I don't like this. I don't understand this. This hurt me. I'm offended by this. I got defensive at this. They're going to go, oh, then it's about you. Let's dig in. Let's find out what God's saying. Why did that hurt you? Why did you get defensive? Why are you offended? Why are you angry? Those are all secondary signs that something's wrong inside. So do you have community to go process that with where you can be transparent and vulnerable enough to say, okay, guys, tell me what you think. What's God saying? Because the same spirit in me is the same spirit in you and he knows. So we group to grow. We want everybody, I'd rather have all of you in good, healthy community than coming here on a Sunday morning. Now, I'd love to see you on a Sunday morning. (laughs) While we can gather, we ought to gather. The early church had a rhythm of temple, home, temple, home, and they were always sharing Jesus on the way. So we do that. Here's the last one. Here's the last one. We'll end with this. When we're gathering to glorify, hang on. When we're gathering to glorify, it's the right heart. It's the right mind. Celebrating our obedience. When we're grouping to grow, the natural inclination will be to go fight giants. The giants of injustice, the global giants of injustice, all five of them are everywhere in the world. Spiritual emptiness, poverty, illiteracy, oppression, and disease we're going to fight them. We're committed. Why? Because when a heart gets radically redirected, the time, talent, and treasure God has given you is redirected to the kingdom. And what is the kingdom about? Bringing light to dark places. What is the kingdom about? Fighting the injustice in the world. God said, Jesus said to the Pharisees, listen, hey, I love that you tithe. That's awesome. But you ignore justice and you don't love God. May that not be said about his church today. And so two, three years ago, I was driving down the road And God downloaded this thought of hope centers. Just said hope centers. Now, at that point, I'd never heard of anything like a hope center. Hope center. And I'm like, okay. And I pulled my phone out to write it all down while I'm driving. I know. But God was talking and I wanted to catch it. You ever have one of those moments when it seems like heaven's gates open and things start flowing? God said, man, I want a place where people who need hope can come. Where people who have hope act like they have it. Where people who don't think they need hope can come. And work alongside those who have hope and realize they need it too. That's a hope center. Where we fight for the whole person. Not just the physical needs. But those physical needs often point to spiritual and emotional and relational and mental needs. Deeper. Jesus, if you will. And it just started coming, man. I would love to see the food pantry reaching as many people as possible. And not just the food pantry, but an intake process where you can can sit with people and not just talk to them about their life, but get to the deeper places. And man, it just started coming, a thrift store where we fund it through people's junk. And we can provide jobs and we can create income. And just started writing all of this down. So as a church, we believe that if that's going to be our strategy, we ought to staff that strategy. Right now, Alex carries the weight of gather to glorify. Natalie carries the weight of group to grow. And Donna's carrying the weight of going and fighting giants. And we're going to go fight giants through this hope center. Because the church is a center for hope. I don't care if we don't even have a place to meet at some point. If we're being a beacon of hope, if we're allowing more people from the community to utilize this place, to find hope in this place, as we go out, that's what it needs to be about. And so as a result of that heart, when people who love Jesus, their hearts start becoming redirected, listen, the band can come up. we will get ready. Listen, we're about to launch our own 501c3 called the Hope Center. Where people in in the world, in the community that don't know Jesus can give because they see things like a special needs playground going in. They see a farm. Today, we have an intake process where there is a leader of this team where they sit with every person who has a need. Some of those people have been led to Jesus right in that place. We're creating a website where people who have a need can come, and the first thing they do is go through this intake. We have an incredible team who runs our food pantry, and they do it all in servant mentality. (laughs) Feeding hundreds, hundreds of people. We have a farm going up out there where people are using their giftings and their talents to be part of seeing that happen growing all that is needed, teaching people how to grow. The community is even using it as a place to come and bring people to teach them how to grow food. (laughs) It keeps going. There's hope legal now where people who can't afford legal representation can come on a Saturday and meet with a lawyer pro bono to figure out next steps. There's hope financial where if you're struggling in your finances, somebody who's good at finances, who is seeing their time, talent, and treasure being redirected will sit down without charging you anything and tell you how to work your system what God has taught them. We have English as a second language. We have hope counseling getting ready to start where we can send people who have a need that we don't maybe know. And they're gonna determine what that is. We're gonna have places to send them. We have an adaptive community that we're living into. You know what's on the list right now? We have a Hope thrift store that we wanna start. We have somebody who is in this church now who has stepped forward and said, my family ran three of them. I grew up running thrift stores, I'm in. We have a a community leader who's gonna give us space to to utilize free of rent for the first year. And we're gonna launch this so we can create jobs, create finances to probably be able to start a Hope Center in Hinch, Haiti. We're not doing it to make a bunch of money. That's what other places, I won't name names. We're doing it to fund. I sat down with a couple single moms who have walked through a tremendous trauma of domestic abuse and now are launching in this church their pain-becoming purpose, a group and a ministry for battered wives and abused people. (laughs) I mean, you can't write this script. When the church realizes, hey, church isn't for me. Church is the place that I get to be part of where we get to use our gifts and talents to change the world by being light and darkness man, it keeps going. I had somebody sit down with me this week and say, I have a model that I think will work where we can offer a fitness place, Hope Fitness, was how it was written in the thing, Hope Fitness, where we don't charge, what we charge members all goes to missions. So everybody your membership gets sent overseas or gets sent to help somebody do some, I'm like, what is God doing where people are sitting down going, I, I own fitness places and God's really blessed it. Now let's figure out how we make a kingdom. We want to do a recovery house. Man, I'd love to buy that house next door for a recovery house for people who are recovering. We're waiting ready right to launch a Celebrate Recovery program. We have a Wellsprings team that wants to help with spiritual freedom. Guys, the list goes on. I could just keep going. A transitional home where people can land while they're trying to figure their life out to be a center of hope, to fight giants, to see this place, not just a place we come and worship God, but we send the beacon of light into our world through this. Gather to glorify, we group to go. We go fight giants. The other side of the frame, how do we know we're successful? Well, we're going to find people in biblical community, where they're known, they're truly known. Listen to me. Hear this. I'm, I am done. Seriously, this is big. I get it. I've been talking a long time. You've been doing really good. You're doing better than I would have done. Listening to me. <laughs> listen, here, here, listen. Where they can trust. That leads to transparency and vulnerability. Where they can be accountable to each other and be spirit led. You know what you become when you're biblical community. You become a light. To a dark world. If this vision is realized, indispensable commodity for our community is what we will be. A city on a hill, light in the dark, hope for the whole person. Here's what we're asking you to do today. Oh, man. My wife tells me, don't talk about the length of time you went. Sorry, I went long. No, it matters. Tell the children's ministry downstairs. It matters. <laughs> Trust me. The kids are going off the walls right now. On your seat is a partnership card. We're starting something pocket. It's in the pocket. If you're in the front row, it's on the seat. It says partnership. Here's what we're going to do you've heard it, you've heard what we want to be about as a church that we are inviting you into a rhythm of gather to glorify, group to go, and go fight giants. Whatever that looks like for you. God's gonna be creative. The people that have come to me with these ideas have just said, I'm not sure what happened, but God just showed it. God just led me. This is what I wanna do. I don't need to be paid for. A daycare, a low-income daycare for people that can't, somebody wants to launch that out of here. I mean, the the list is, it's, I'm, just keeps going. Would you partner with us and say, for this next year, this moment right now to the end of next August, we're going to partner and we're going we're to create this rhythm in our lives. As an individual, as couples, we want to be a city on a hill, light in a dark place. And we know that that doesn't happen as an individual, it happens together. That means when it's opportunity to gather, whether it's online or here, we're gathering. We're not missing because there's a lot of vision that comes from right here. There's a lot of truth that comes from right here. And sometimes we need that to be able to take it into our communities. We're going to group to grow. We're going to go fight giants. We're going to find out what God wants us to do through this Hope Center. We're going to be a light to our community. Right now, people are blown away of the things that are going on. I have a help at the Hope Farm that can't believe a church is doing this. Can't believe it. I hear that all the time. I can't believe a church is doing this. Oh, isn't that good news? That the church is finally being the church. So here's what I want you to do. Fill that out. And some of you are like, I'll put my name, but I'm not putting the rest. Would you put the rest, please? Just fill it out. There's a pin in the thing. If if you're saying, man, this is me. I'm going to give you a moment, and we're going to to be done in five minutes. We're going to sing. And as we sing, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're online, really easy. Just go ahead and click the link that your host has given you, and you'll be able to follow that to be able to be part of this as well. Fill out that form. This is big for us because we're going to take these, we're going to put them into a database, and we're going to begin to communicate with you regularly as partners to help you be everything God wants you to be in this season of your life. How do we be a unified church? How do we be a light on a hill? Light for God, city on a hill. We want to do this together. I'm in for this vision. I'm in to become what God has for me. I'm in to see the freedom in my life free others. Write that down. Bring it up here during this song and put it in this bucket. As they sing, begin to move. When the song's over, we'll dismiss. Thank you for letting me unpack this. Love you all so much.